This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everyone. Hope you're doing really well. Thanks so much for joining me for yet another installment of the show. Gosh, I'm racking up the numbers at this point in time. I'm pleased to bring you a conversation with Connor Marshall from the groups Silosis and Conjurer. The catalyst for our introduction is due to the launch of a new album for 2022 from Conjurer. And this one's titled Pathos. I like it. I like it a lot. You'll hear why throughout the chat, so I won't talk too much in the introduction, except to say we're going to listen to a tune. Prior to the conversation, I have selected one titled Rot. It's a bit of a longer one than what I typically put in an introduction, but I think it's necessary for you to get the full texture and colour of the group's music. So here's Rot, and once it's done, let's dive into the chat with Connor. Here we go.
G'day, mate. We finally connect. How are you? Gonna say, yeah. How's it going? Sorry about <laughs> last time. Uh, I think yeah, we got a little lost in time zones, right? I think that's what happens. Yeah, but all look all good. Look, shit happens. Gosh, you know, it's. Uh, I tried to uh, talk to you know Demi Borgir, of course. You know Demi Borgir, uh, Deray, yep. the drummer. Um, I think he's he's yet to uh, decipher Zoom. Uh, because oh, okay. is, earlier this right. week he was the same link because I just have an open link because I do this so often I don't bother with the yeah. password bullshit because it tends to get uh, you know stuffs up effectively so I don't I don't do it but uh, yeah it certainly has been the fortnight uh, there's been a couple of other ones too that have been a bit interesting but uh, but thanks for sticking with it mate because I was looking forward to the chat yeah yeah no me too thanks yeah. for having me how's the how are the conversations with us journo types been going? Are people curious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, the majority have been, have been really good. Like, there's there's a few where it's like, not that anyone's done a bad job at all, but there's a few where it's like, okay, the same four questions that you get asked in oh, every gosh. interview ever. But like, yeah. for the most part, yeah, people seem to have actually like really taken the album in and like had some interesting questions and thoughts and stuff. So it's, it's been, yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah. You may well be one of the most extreme bands that I've seen signed to Nuclear Blast. It's quite unusual to see them who sign a band like you guys. Normally, you'd end up on a uh, uh, profound law or sentient ruin, those sort of labels right. there. Is that is that feedback that you've been giving yet? Um, and not too much. We were quite lucky because we'd been working or we were going to be working with Nuclear Blast anyway. So when we were on our old label, um, Nuclear Blast were going to like lease the album and release it in um, – the US and for the rest of the world anyway as kind mm. of like a partnership thing so when our old label then folded Nuclear Blast were like one of the first to step up and be like hey we'd like to sign you but it, it's always been as Nuclear Blast not yeah hop on but we'll put you on a subsidiary or anything like that yeah I think there's any, I think they've only got Blood Blast these days haven't they which I don't think you guys I, have yeah, I lose track of it all I think there's a couple of I don't know if Sharp Tone has anything to do with them or if I'm oh they used to be well. No, they used yeah. to be. I don't think, yeah, they're more metalcore and, and bit, that sort of stuff. I don't think you'd fit in with that. I'd, yeah, the, right. Yeah, the, yeah. I don't know how I don't know how important labels are these days in terms of their marketing strategy because kids tend to find whatever they the hell they find these days. And uh, it, yeah, it certainly feels like it matters less. But mm. I, I don't know. I guess it's one of those things where yeah, you have to put something on it mm. just to say uh, as some marketing, even if it, it's not as important as maybe it once was. Mm. Well, well, Pathos, that's the album that we've uh, convened to discuss effectively amongst other things. But look, that is, as I sort of hinted there, that is underground extreme metal. Uh, it's brought into the sunlight and the big stage. When I was listening to you guys, it reminded me of the first time I heard Deaf Heaven. Okay. And um, the other thing too is that Pathos, it's like, uh, you know, you know, Imperial Triumphant, that, their album Alphaville. Uh, I didn't feel as though those guys quite nailed what they were try trying to go for with that album. They're a great band, but I think they just missed the mark, to be honest. But I feel like as though you guys have hit the mark with what you guys were trying to do in the same way that they missed it, if that makes hope that makes sense. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, they were, um, they were one of the bands that Brady, our guitarist, has really gotten into over the last couple of years. So they were, yeah. I don't want to say they were an influence necessarily like musically, but in terms of like us broadening our horizons in like the four years since our last album came out and like being open to more music that is, you know, a lot more underground and that sort of stuff. They were kind of one of the key bands. So it's interesting that you kind of brought them up as a, as okay. a link. Cause that link is kind of there. Like I say, not necessarily musically, we weren't trying to write anything that sounded like them, but more like, 
the kind of feeling you get from listening to a band like that and the atmosphere. It's kind of like totally taking yeah. that element and putting it through our filter almost. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing that I think you've both got in common, uh, intentional or otherwise, is that there was an album by Gorguts back in the 90s called Obscura, um, okay. which has gone on to have quite a bit of an influence. And I feel like as though that, that album was, nothing sounded like that album beforehand. Those guys came out and released that and it was like, it's a it's a misunderstood classic in so many ways. Um, but I think both of you guys have sort of tapped into something ethereally that they were doing musically. And you're broadening it a lot further. So my point in amongst all of that, again, is that um, Pathos is, look, it's unapologetically warped. I love that about it. And it's so very underground. And I feel like as though it's kind of like a contradiction because it feels like as though it's meant for inner city clubs and, you know, for playing in front of 50 people. But then you see you guys playing in front of thousands of people on the festival stage. And, And a bit like what I was saying with Deaf Heaven, it's the first time I saw them bringing that type of black metal to the people. It's the first time I'm really hearing underground extreme metal shit like what you guys are doing being brought to the people in the festival stage. Yeah, it's interesting because it's it's not something that like there's no plan for it. Yeah, we've, we're not, we don't have a business map where it's like, yeah, we want to play this stage, so we have to do this, that and that. It's very much mm-hmm. us writing the songs that we want to write together and like the songs that the four of us are happy with and are proud of have come out, out with and anything after that has kind of been, we'll take it as it comes. So you're right. Like we, we never expected to get to this point at all. Like where we're getting to play these incredible festival stages and like to the amount of people that we are, but yeah, somehow, some way it seems to be hitting home for people and we're getting amazing opportunities off the back of it. That was kind of Mm. why it took so long for us to get, obviously the pandemic helped speed that up a little bit because we didn't have any choice, but that was why it took so long to get to doing this album. It was never the plan for it to be four years, but we just kept getting all these amazing opportunities and tours and festival slots to, like you say, go and play to way more people than we ever expected. So it was kind of like, well, how can we say no? Um, It'll be interesting to see if that continues when we put this out, it might, it might fall flat and we might not get those opportunities anymore, but it's definitely been, been fun. And so a lot of this is bucket list stuff that we never thought we would do anyway. So we're trying not to take it for granted. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's really, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, because it feels like with the music, it feels like as though you guys take it as far as you possibly can before it gets to like portal level extremity. Is right. that, is that, is, does that ring correct? Does that sound true? Yeah. So our guitarist Brady sums this up very well when he's like kind of asked about that sort of thing. And it's kind of like what I said earlier as well. Like by taking the Imperial Triumphant and putting it through our filter, it is very much like, how can we take those, let's say, absolute edges of extreme music and like bands and influences and stuff that would suit like a, a Roadburn festival or something like that? It's mm. basically taking those influences, but awesome. we're yeah. like, we're essentially playing them like as kids who grew up on like Trivium, essentially like Trivium, Gajira, that sort of thing. So it's taking all of that, say, out there, more niche, less accessible stuff say channeling it through us kids who grew up going to like say the more mainstream like download festivals and all that sort of stuff um and say that's why it kind of seems to work and meet in the middle somewhere where we have those interesting elements but it's maybe a little bit more approachable than an imperial triumphant or a sumac or something like that Mm, yeah have you been to roadburn you know it sounds like you have uh so we played it in 2019 so i don't know if I feel okay. like that was definitely all our first time. I don't know if anyone's been back since, but yeah, we were very fortunate where we 
we got to come back and play it. Did you see, is that the one Trypticon played it? It might have been, to be honest, we were in and out for the day, so I didn't get to see a lot. Um, it was very much turn up, set up, play, and then we had to get back to basically catch our crossing back to the UK. So we didn't get, I think Dan, our guitarist, then ended up like he didn't come back with us. He stayed for the whole weekend. So there's every chance that he did. But yeah, I uh, I was back in the van on the way home, probably to be at work the next day or something like that. That's cool. Yeah, I love rugby. And it's, it's the one thing that, I mean, you know how far away we are from everything. I'm just taking right. the yeah. time off to, to, to travel over there and see that. But I'm so inspired by the fact that that festival exists because one of my favourite yeah. outfits is a group called Plague Organ and they've played it. And I know I don't know awesome. the guys. I've, I've interviewed them, but we chat over Messenger occasionally. You know how it is. Um, but to hear that you guys are playing both these, because you've played Hellfest and a few of those sort of festivals. And then you yeah, played. Yeah, we just played Hellfest this last weekend. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? That was, uh, it turned out really, really well. Um, it was a bit of a nightmare because of traveling and like, issues with customs and whatnot we basically we ended up missing what was meant to be our original set time so we almost very nearly didn't play it oh, yeah. um mm. but luckily um catatonia had had to pull out because i think a couple of their members have got covid or something like that so we were fortunate that we could basically just take their slot so we ended up playing a much better slot in a bigger tent to more people mm. so got very fortunate but up until that point where that was confirmed it was yeah a bit of a nightmare of stress of waiting for the rest of the band to turn up because I'd flown out the day before. So I'd been there the whole time. And then so I was running around trying to sort stuff out essentially. Yeah. But yeah, in the end, if we ignore that bit and just look at playing the festival, it was incredible. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I can't imagine how much anxiety uh, that sort of thing. God, I know how bad it is when we're loading in and we're late because I play in a band too. And, uh, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But for you guys, I mean, it's such a wonderful opportunity, isn't it? Definitely. That was kind of the thing is like, so and me and Dan, the guitarist who I mentioned, we'd been to Hellfest in 2014 just as fans. And so it was meant to be like a big, kind of like a big moment for us. So it's like this festival that we grew up, like, got, like we went to, we enjoyed it. Like we had an amazing time. It's like, oh, great. Now we get to play it. And so, yeah, being stood kind of helpless in a French field, waiting for the rest of my band to turn up, knowing that they basically... Eat, if they'd have had a perfect run by the time they got into the country, we were they were going to turn up like 10 minutes before our set time, which then, like you say, by the time we actually get in, get them their wristbands, get to the back of the stage, load in, at most maybe we would have played like a, a 10, 15 minute set, at which point like it's not worth it. So yeah, yeah we got very, very lucky um, that we were able to just take that much better slot, like an insane slot. We shouldn't have been in that slot, but I like to yeah. think we did all right with it. Hopefully people seemed to enjoy it at the time. Fate had other plans, it seems. Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll not complain. How, how was the Dark Mofo experience? Uh, it sounded amazing. So that was the one, that was the only Kundra show I've had to miss, unfortunately, since joining the band. Uh -huh. um, so they had a fill-in bassist. Um, but from what they've said, like the videos I've seen, all of that, it looked absolutely incredible. I think Dan was saying it's his favourite Kundra show that he's ever played. So a little bit annoyed that I missed it, but it's, it, yeah, it was one of those things that couldn't really be helped from my perspective. But again, like, as a band, Viva Sounds Fit, incredible, like amazing experience. And so we're now planning to come back and do a full Australian, like full run um, next year sometime, hopefully. Did you have a gig with Josh or something like that? Or was that, is that why you had to miss that one? No, it was just, it was one of those where I couldn't get um, the full time off for it, essentially. So Dark Mofo were, like incredible they flew everyone else out for like four days put them up in a hotel so they could go and like experience it 
because like you say it's it's so far away from from everything else like the travel just to get there was yeah definitely and so uh i had something that i needed to be in the uk for so i would have had to fly out later than everyone else and it would have been a case of flying out spending what 29 hours on a flight or whatever landing in tasmania the day of the show playing and then immediately having to get on a flight back to make it back for for work and stuff the next day. Um, And so it was one of those things where like, technically it could have probably just about worked, but I'd be absolutely ruined. And so it was one of those things where it's like, there wasn't any way to win. It's either like, yes, I play it, but I'm going to be so jet lagged and like, who knows if I'd even enjoy it or anything like that, or like perform to my best or anything like that, or say uh, miss it like I had to, or say go then for the four days, but miss this, um, thing that i had in the uk which was like an important thing so yeah, yeah for me personally there was there was no real winning in that situation so we mm-hmm. just ended up say getting a fill-in um guy called jaya who plays in make them suffer mm-hmm. yep. uh lovely guy an incredible bass player and so yeah he filled in and smashed it so yeah it sounds amazing so i hope we can play it again just because it looks like it the, like the way that the whole town and city gets involved with it, it looks just incredible like a an amazing experience outside of being a show for the band to play um but yeah, I'm pretty sure the guys had the best time. Yeah, I suppose I suppose you could say I've got family connections in Tasmania because my godson's from parents are, or mothers okay. from there. So we go down there, and I was down there a couple of years ago when Dark Mofo on the eve of it, and of course, being a muso, I was just bumping into all of these people who were muso types, people like us. And they're all asking me if I'm going to Dark Mofo. I had no idea what the bloody thing was until I researched yeah, it. Went, yeah, you saw what it was. How cool it is. Yeah, yeah. When we got the offer through for it, we were all kind of like, "What? What's this?" And so yeah, you start googling it and stuff. But even then, I don't think we fully under really understood what it was. It was only when they got there and, like, say, saw everything and went, "Jesus, this is amazing." Yeah. Hey, I mentioned Josh, and uh, for people who will be listening, Josh Middleton, he's the filler and Solosis and Architects, or well, mainly Architects, but of course Solosis is this killer other band that you're a part of. So um, I did have a chat to Josh a couple of years ago when A Cycle of Suffering was released. So awesome. uh, did you did you feel like as though that, that album, I know you toured on the album, it looked like it got well, a great response. Well, did you tour on it or did you play behind well, it? Yeah, played so behind we, it? Yeah. yeah, we came back. Like the comeback show we did in London was February 13th, 2020. And then March 2020, the world shut down. So yeah. the album came out and we played one show, but that that one show, here we are almost three years later, is is it. Like So we've not toured it yet. There's obviously plans now that stuff is opening up. We're going to see what we can figure out. But um, yeah, it came out and say people seem to really enjoy it. So it was a shame we couldn't do anything with it. But yeah, so far it's um, it's been the one show and we did like a live stream when Trivium did a live stream, we were there live stream opener. So I guess we played one and a half shows, but no, no proper tours or festivals or anything like that. Yeah. Unfortunately. Such a shame. There's a ton of releases that fell into the, into the void. Yep. You know, that's, that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. You just can't plan for it. Like none of us had any idea, right. Otherwise you'd, you'd hold it off. But even, even at that point, I know, I don't know how it kind of was in Australia. I know, um, I think you you over there were a lot better at kind of shutting down and controlling it, at least initially. But over here, it was a yeah two week lockdown. It should like yeah shouldn't really last more than a month. This whole thing, and then then it will be back to normal. And then yeah, two years later, we're only just kind of opening up again. So yeah, but there was no way to avoid it. You either sit on your album for two years, but not knowing that it's going to be two years, or say you have to get it out and then it 
falls into not being able to tour it and all that sort of stuff like you just said unfortunately i think the pace of our world these days you know our, our internet connected lives means that uh i think cycle of suffering will survive i think it, you know probably the numbers look great streaming numbers or what have you and physical album sales if, if they're even a thing yeah. these days but they probably look great but I don't know whether there's going to be a lot of opportunity for for bands to be able to tour on the back of albums that were sort of lost in that 2020 2021 void because as a, I mean I've I've been doing this now for five years so two of my years of doing this have been through the bloody pandemic right, I don't know yeah. how many killer releases there were through that period that people just aren't going to pay attention to they're just going to move on to the next album because that's just right. a cycle in the nature and I think it's such a a shame but you know you know to your point like you know nobody saw this bloody thing coming so what, what do yeah. you do. You know. We're all just figuring out as we go along. Yeah, there's um, a new Silosis album in the works. So yeah, it's going to be one of those yeah. things where I don't know when that's coming out, probably next year sometime. But yeah, when we can get touring again and stuff, it's likely going to be off the back of that album instead. So we'll obviously play Cycle of Suffering songs. But yeah, you're right. It's going to be a little kind of weird. I don't even want to say blip because that sounds harsh, but you're right. It's going to be like the one that kind mm-hmm. of floats floats in the air, whereas everything else got a, got a proper release, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Hey, just talking uh, about uh, Pathos and just the Conjurer band in general then, um, how, how do you guys share your ideas? Is the old riff fault in, in the cloud by Dropbox or Google Drive and then you just sort of put your own thing over it? Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. So we're not a band who writes like on tour or when we're in the room, which kind of like I was saying before, why it took so long is because when we're out getting these amazing tour offers and getting to play all these shows, it's time that we're not able to sit down and write because it's, it's just not how we function um from the start of the band it's always been yeah like you say everyone writes at home emails it over uploads it to google drive or whatever and then people when they finish work at the day or whatever go home sit down download it listen to it change it and kind of say it just goes back and forth that way until we've got got a song so um yeah that that's how we've always done it and that kind of we got lucky with that with the pandemic like say of being stuck at home and not being able to go anywhere like if anything that was almost the perfect conditions for us to write an album because it meant well we legally can't do anything else so it gives us all the time in the world to focus on this and we can be at home on our laptop sending stuff back and forth uh but yeah i feel like that's just how how we found that we work best to be honest um whether that'll change in the future who knows but at the moment it seems to be going all right yeah, sure. Yeah. Now, now the lyrical themes, can you talk to me about any of the lyrical themes that were addressed and discussed and made it onto the album? Yeah, sure. Um, so it, the lyrical idea is always like spawned from a range of different things, but we've found that we, and like the theme for this album, and even though it wasn't necessarily intentional, but the reason we've called it Pathos is because that's the like ancient Greek word that like suffering and emotion and stuff kind of comes from. So we found that the lyrics always kind of end up circling back to like the human experience and that sort of thing. So for example, there's a song on there about dementia, but it's kind of from the perspective of a person suffering from dementia and like being trapped inside their own mind and that sort of thing. Um, It dwells and rot uh, both about um, kind of like fear and anxiety. Um, It dwells looking at it again from the human perspective and kind of like how those feelings manifest the kind of like mentally and what it feels like and all that sort of stuff. Then Rot flips it and is from the perspective kind of of those feelings, like giving that a a personality, so to speak, to be like, I'm going to destroy us from the inside out, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, There's tracks about kind of like 
mourning and dealing with loss and kind of looking at loss if you're not religious, so to speak, and like, okay, well, people are meant to go to a better place, but what if you don't believe in that? Like what kind of what happens next? How are you meant to feel? How are you meant to get that closure? Um, mm. so yeah, there's a range of different things, but it's all, it's all pretty sad. It's all, um, pretty, um, pretty downbeat emotionally. Um, and say just, it's all kind of the, the, the string kind of like between everything that connects it all is to say, say that suffering, that emotion, that like almost call for empathy and like the, mm. it, it works both ways. Like the wanting someone to empathize with you and also empathizing with other people. That's yeah. That's mostly what the themes kind of ended up as for this album. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you feel like this might be a naff question, by the way, but uh, you're from the Midlands, aren't you? The band, collectively. Yes. Yeah. yeah, originally. We're kind of starting to spread out a little bit, but pretty much still the Midlands. I think I've done a count, and there's probably more great metal bands per capita come from the Midlands than anywhere else on the planet. So we're talking Led Zeppelin. Well, I know they had two of their members come from there anyway. Uh, Black yeah. Sabbath and Judas Priest certainly did. Uh, Diamond Head, Bolt Thrower. I've spoken to Carl about yep. this. Um, Napalm, Beth, Carcass, Godflesh, the list. I could keep going. I mean, all these classic killer bands. Is there something uh, about the environment there and the cities that are around there that you think sort of lend itself to these killer heavy metal bands emerging? I don't know. I mean, it sucks. Like, it's <laughs> it's not awful, but, like, it's not. It's like, yeah, it's just kind of, at least from my perspective, say I can't necessarily talk for everyone else in all of those bands and whatnot, but, like, it's just, it's fine. Like, it's just a, I guess, fine at best place to live. Like the town we come from, um, small town called Rugby, is like, if you want to settle down, you're in your mid thirties, early forties, whatever you want to say, settle down, raise a family in a kind of quiet town where the schools are okay and that sort of thing, then yeah, Rugby's great. Like it's an ideal place for that. But growing up in that environment, it's just fuck all to do. And like, obviously it's the UK, it's always grey, it's always raining. So I, I don't know if, these things subconsciously kind of like work their way into you. And, and that's where the music comes from. Like it's, it's never a link we've kind of like deliberately made ourselves where it's like, Oh, we're from the Midlands. And so like, that means we have a heritage and all that sort of stuff. And we've got all these bands we need to live up to. It just happens to be a coincidence for us. But like, like you say, all these amazing acts have come from around a similar part of the country and world from us. But yeah, so I don't, I don't know if it is very much just say a result of the environment that the environment sucks and so all it all comes out through the music or something like that but yeah it's mm. uh it's a weird one it's it's definitely an interest interesting sorry coincidence that all these amazing like bands throughout like the history of metal not even just recently or anything like that but literally going back to the start like you said with zeppelin and sabbath have all mm. come from our little shithole corner of the world I know what you're saying. It's like because I'm on the Gold Coast, right, which is very much the opposite, you know, sun, beach and sand. You, know, you wouldn't know it today. Yeah, it looks you know? nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's what, is it, what time is it now? It's 5.23 in the morning. This is perfect for me to do interviews, right, but it's, it's as cold as it'll ever get around here. It's actually been freezing this winter, the coldest winter on record, right. I think. Uh, okay. It's down to as, as cold as sort of 8 degrees Celsius, which is unheard of, to be honest. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, around us, you know, the guys from a lot of the guys in um, – uh, Aversion's Crown, um, Die Art is Murder. They come from around here. It's a bit like the Florida thing where it's all sunny and stuff. You had all of these killer death metal bands come out. Right. So it seems to be like an extre- extremity thing. In the, the, the bleaker the place or the more sunny the place, all these killer extreme metal yeah. can sort of emerge. 
yeah if you live somewhere that's just nice you're never going to get anything done but if you if you have to if you have to endure the worst of weather one way or another then yeah sure maybe that's the maybe that's the key maybe i need to move somewhere that's even worse than the midlands and see what happens <laughs> yeah definitely yeah um base philosophy do you have a philosophy with the base? Did you have somebody that really inspired you? Like, uh, you know, not necessarily a Steve Harris, but you know what I'm saying. Was there somebody that right. you heard and then you went, shit, that's what I want to do? Honestly, not really. So I was a guitar player first. Um, played guitar for, what, since I was maybe like 10, that sort of age, maybe even slightly younger than that. And so I only started playing bass when I joined Conjurer about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um and basically, I started playing bass to join Kundra. And they'd asked me initially where they first started the band. And I'd said no again, because I was like, well, you know, I'm not really much of a bass player. I just started university at the time. So it was like, no, go get a proper bass player and like, you'll be absolutely fine. And they were, the, the guy they got in was great and all that sort of stuff. But then he ended up leaving and they asked me again. And like, so I borrowed Dan's bass at the time, learned the songs. So I was like, okay, yeah, this is pretty cool. And it's one of those things now where especially live, like I've come to love it like play, something about playing bass live. I don't know if it's like the extra kind of weight of it and all that sort of stuff, but I really enjoy performing that. Um, but then say growing up and like having all my heroes be guitar players, not rather than bassists, like by the time I've now started playing bass, it's, it's almost like I've missed that that period. So I'm just playing it purely for practical purposes, almost like I'm very much a guitar player playing bass rather than mm. being kind of a bass player that's come up say idolizing people like Steve Harris or anybody like that. Like there's obviously loads of amazing players. I remember the first time kind of like hearing and seeing Alex Webster from Cannibal Corpse and like seeing all the stuff he was doing, like with his fingers, like Jason Newstead's obviously incredible. So there's, there's bass players that I definitely admire, but no, there's no one that's like inspired me in that way where it's like, I want to play bass like them or I want to take what they've done and do this to it. It's very much whatever we think suits the song is what the bass kind of ends up doing. Um, and a lot of it sometimes, as with metal, might just be following the riff. But then there's a lot of bits on pathos, especially in like the more kind of drawn out, quieter sections where the bass does get to kind of go off the track a little bit um, mm. and do its own thing. But yeah, it's it's almost it's a it's a bit of a cliche and boring answer, but it is all very much serving the song. Um, and if that means holding back and say just supporting the riff, cool. Or yeah, if I do get to gone kind of a tangent somewhere else then awesome as well i'm very lucky that jan our now old drummer um who does some of the writing as well he always happens to write just really interesting bass parts and so there might be bits that i tweak here and there but a lot of the time like the stuff that's written for me not necessarily for me to go you have to play this but the bit where it's like oh i wrote a riff this is how the bass goes like that's that's always like or at least in so far kind of been 90 percent there anyway and it's always like yeah. well this is a great bass bit. So I might tweak a bit here and there, but I'm not going to like, I don't want to have the ego where it's like, Nope, I'm going to change that because my bass bits have to be my bass bits that I wrote and that I do. It's just say whatever serves the song. And if someone else writes a better bass bit than wicked, say there's no real philosophy beyond that. The performance aspect of what you guys do is so crucial. And I think if the, if the bass parts were so complicated, that you couldn't perform the way you do, I think it'd really detract from from what the band's trying to achieve. Would you agree? Right, exactly. That's the thing. And it's, yeah, it's all about putting the song across in the best possible way. And you're right, it doesn't, at the end of the day, like people listen to music and get affected by a song, not necessarily, like obviously the genres out there, like the kind of more tech side of it, where how many notes you play might 
become part of it. And like, there's almost a certain sound to that where like when you are playing a million notes a second, it sounds a certain way and people are sometimes drawn to that, but at least for what we're doing, that's not, that's kind of not the point. We might have some riffs that are a little more technical, but it's only because that's what sounds right to us. Not, we're not doing it because we want to play a million notes a second. And then exactly like you say, when it comes to playing these songs live, I would hate to have to stand still and constantly be staring at my fretboard just to make sure that I'm not yeah. fucking up and making it sound awful for the people that have come to see us. Mm. Mate, final question for you. Is it talk of coming back to Australia? Yeah, there definitely is. So we, it was something we wanted to do anyway because um, that was somewhere where we didn't manage to make it out on Maya, our last album. Um, but especially now since doing Dark Mofo, um, I think the promoter kind of got us out there and put us on has already said that they want to bring us back and like say it's somewhere we desperately want to go anyway. So I don't know when in 2023 and it's one of those things where we don't have like a concrete offer or anything in the schedule, but it is like, okay, cool. List of things we want to do or list of places we want to go in 2023 onwards. Australia is almost like high priority. So I don't know whether it'll be early end, mid, whatever next year, but hopefully at some point next year, it'll be a full kind of Australia run. Yeah, it sounds like Whether that's happen. supporting or headline or whatever. Yeah, well, the venues are back up and running. I don't know whether this sort of gets filtered back to you, but a lot of them closed down, of course, because they had to through the right. pandemic. But all of the, all of the capital cities have got because you know we're not a big population here, so all of the big capital cities have got their one venue, which caters for extreme metal, back open. Um, okay, wicked. Yeah, good. So hopefully, a promoter reaches out to you and and uh, organises something because I'd love to see you guys live. Yeah, we'd say we definitely want to get over that. Like we only, you only ever see and hear amazing things about Australia online. And then definitely now that they've been over there and had such an amazing experience in Tasmania, it's one of those things that was like, well, no, we just have to get back to Australia. So mm. especially for me, obviously not being able to do Dark Mofo, it's very much like, well, nope, my turn. I want to go. So yeah, it's good to hear that it's a likely possibility from every angle, essentially that there's venues and stuff to go and play, not just us wanting to go there. <laughs> Killer, mate. Well, uh, you can tell I'm a fan. I enjoy what you guys do. Uh, as I said, I'd love to see you guys live. Uh, congratulations on uh, being able to forge your career as a bassist to and two killer bands. That's the other thing. Oh, yeah. so, Thank you. Uh, yeah, I've, I've landed on my feet there, definitely. That seems to be the, uh, seems to be the um, business plan for me is I'll join a band on bass just as they're releasing an album and then take all the credit for it, <laughs> even though I wasn't, I wasn't involved. So who, I wonder who's next, but we'll, we'll see. Oh, you'll be right, mate. You'll you'll be on. You'll definitely be on the next Solosis album, and um, and you know what you've done here on um, on Pathos, mate. I mean, it's a pretty good bloody first album to be on. Put it that way. So, well, yeah, I'll take it definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks very much for the chat, brother. Really appreciate it. Love it. No worries, mate. Thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time, dude. Pleasure. No worries, mate. Okay. See ya. See ya. What a nice fella. I enjoyed that conversation with Connor. He had an interesting take there on why the British Midlands has produced so much killer heavy metal. It always does come down to those places where there's not much else to do except perform bands, get into rehearsal rooms and hammer out some tunes. Interesting. If you like that chat, there are many more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com. And if you like the podcast and the interviews, you may, you may like reading about it, about them. So click on the banner. It'll take you to a marketplace and you can read my book. You can download a sample, Scars and Guitars, Conversations from the World of Heavy Metal and Beyond. If you do complete the purchase, if you do go through and buy the entire book, please do hit me up because I want to thank you personally. And on that note, I'm going to hand over to myself to tell you a little bit more 
about the book. Peace. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, Playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, I, just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he, he was very you know very open-minded and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for for the best stuff that they had phil campbell from motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober john five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with marilyn manson you know my name is john five and manson gave me that name and um i had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book. <laughs>